Brian Millsap, chairman and CEO of Atlanta-based Black Hall Studios, is one of today's top entertainment executives with a vision for Black Hall that's ambitious, energizing, and boundless. Millsap is blazing a trail through the heart of the South and setting his sights on the future of entertainment. Listen and learn as Ryan Millsap journeys through the myriad industries, people, and landscapes that traverse the complex and dynamic world of film production. I'm Ryan Millsap, CEO of Black Hall Studios in Atlanta, and this is the Black Hall Studios podcast. Why does a busy Hollywood studio do a podcast, you might ask? Black Hall is home of great movies like Jumanji The Next Level and fan-favorite series like HBO's Lovecraft Country. But for me, hosting a podcast is an amazing way to meet people and to connect to the community. I learn from each interview and from each person. My roots are actually in America's heartland. My mother's from Nebraska, my father's from Missouri. And though some folks might think I've gone Hollywood, I'm now just an Atlanta boy who loves to meet new and interesting people. And yes, some of them will just happen to be famous Hollywood types. I'm a dad, a businessman, I live on a farm out in social circle and I love the peace and quiet there, but I also love to learn about the philosophy of human nature. So why a podcast? That's why. Thank you for joining me on this journey. I appreciate you. Today on the podcast, I speak with Mr. Grant Wainscott. Grant is VP of Ecosystem Expansion for the Metro Atlanta Chamber of Commerce. That sounds like a big job. We'll find out about that and about something that's been blowing up in Georgia and around the world, eSports. Grant is the Vice Chairman of the eSports Alliance, which is part of the Atlanta Sports Council, led by Mr. Dan Corso. The significance of putting eSports alongside the NFL, the NBA, as well as Major League Baseball is a sign of the times and of things to come. Let's go to Grant Wainscott. Thanks for listening to the Black Hall Studios podcast. Grant, welcome to the Black Hall Studios podcast. Man, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Tell us about what's going on in the metro chamber world of business in the midst of this crazy COVID world. Wow. Business is happening. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a mixed, um, it, it's it's a mixed blessing, right? You, you hate to see the, the the job loss and and a lot of the challenges that the regions faced in our travel industry. You know, losing the Final Four and so many other big things that we you know really relied on to to help bring in and keep the city vibrant. But but amidst all of that, we've still had some really significant project activity. We've seen some major announcements. You know, earlier in the year. Um, you know, Microsoft bringing 1,500 jobs. Um, we've had several other really big tech announcements. Um, Deluxe, um, yes, they do still make checks. Um, yes, it is uh, a lot more than a checking company. But um, bringing 700 jobs, uh, that was announced uh, the end of last week. So you're seeing, you know, expansion in the tech sector. You're seeing, you know, kind of a go to go back to the office strategy being employed by, you know, some of our bigger brands. Um, and then, of course, you've had a lot of the, um, I, I don't know that anybody would say they're wins, nobody wants wins like this, but but the expansions and the activity due to the pandemic in our supply chain and our global health, you know, community. So it's, the nice thing is that, you know, Metro Atlanta is not a one horse town, right? We don't rely on, you know, oil and gas like a market or, you know, just markets in general. 
we have seven, eight, nine really huge kind of ecosystems that drive GDP growth for us. So it's, it's uh, you know, when one or two are, are, are suffering or not doing as well, you can rely on some of the others to kind of help lessen the, the impact. For the listeners that don't totally understand the Atlanta economy, walk them through kind of those seven cores, if you, you know, that, that are the drivers of this economy, and then talk about the parts of that that have been hit the hardest and then let's talk about the parts of that that are continuing to expand and seem to be thriving despite the pandemic. Sure. Well, I mean, since since we're here in the midst of you know the creative world, um, I would argue, uh, as would many, that the creative economy, everything from film, gaming, television, animation, post music and scoring, you know, fan and geek culture, comic, you know, cons, performing arts, that is what really drives not just an economy, but it drives the vibe of a city and a region, right? That's, you may come and move or go somewhere because of a job, but you still have to feel the city and and the region. And so one of those areas that has been hit the hardest, of course, is the creative economy. We are, we are so inexplicably, you know, linked all of our, you know, our fortune fives, our, you know, our retail, our hospitality, everything, really is affected by and and helps with in good times you know with the creative economy so seeing you know film production you know halting in in most cases for you know four or five months um seeing our music venues closed seeing you know the places that we love to go support our our indie artists and our creatives that's been tough that's been tough on everybody and i mean you know, you know that as well as anybody seeing though the vibrancy of the region, and we talked about those kind of core clusters, you know, you have fintech, financial technology, so that's payments, you know, it used to be checks, and now it's, you know, contactless payments. So you can imagine in a, in a world where everybody's trying to go contactless, um, having that fintech community, helping solve contactless payments and helping figure out how to get you know, payments, remittances, getting money back into businesses quicker so that they can, you know, get their, um, you know, uh, outstanding bills, you know, paid and and get paid by their, um, you know, by their customers. That's really important. So fintech is certainly a a huge driver here. Um, Logistics. I've got got a question on that. Yeah. I've heard various statistics about the percentage of digital payments that flow through Atlanta. Do you know those statistics about you do? Yeah, so some of that. well, you know, as as chamber folks are wont to do, we love stats and and um, we try to only talk about those things and and publish those things which we can absolutely quantify. We've the region for years has used the the 70% of all payments, all digital payments, so credit, debit and gift card swipes come through a Georgia company. So if you think of the, you know, the billions and billions of dollars that are transacted, you know, on a daily basis using cards, so much of that is coming through through, you know, the Metro Atlanta and, and the Georgia economy. Is that seventy um, percent in the United States or seventy percent in the world? Seventy percent of the US, a great 70%. great question. Mm-hmm. You know, one day, you know, we'll have complete world domination. <laughs> um, and it's growing, right? And that's, you know, even with M and A activity, um, with mergers and acquisitions, we still have, you know, a global you know, strong point. So when we look at those core clusters I was talking about, it's where we are objectively strong. It's where um, rating agencies and the media and and rankings all look at 
the information objectively and then, you know, declare, you know, Atlanta, Georgia, depending on the ranking. Um, and then you were going to jump into logistics, right? Which yep. is, you know, Atlanta's the home to UPS. We are. Yeah. Well, and, and it's, you know, it's the world's most traveled airport in most times. Uh, up still until, might be. Up until March. <laughs> you know, that's a good point. It is. Um, there is still activity. Um, yeah. You know, you, you read about uh, some of the restaurants and, and retail starting to reopen. Um, and I would, you know, I would put my money on Delta, right? I would put my money on Delta in the worst of times and in the best of times. It's fantastic company. It is. And the leadership that, you know, Ed Bastian showed and, you know, taking a stance on, you know, blocking seats and, and, and really tackling this head on, I think is going to be the difference in, in just how successful they are. So I'd feel safer in a plane right now than just about anywhere else. So I've been so impressed with Ed Bastian's posts on LinkedIn and social media in general, just like how, um, grounded he is and how, what a good leader he's shown to be in the midst of this troubled time. It's been as a, as a, you know, diamond flyer and somebody that lives and breathes on the Delta app. And, you know, this is the longest I've ever been grounded. Um, my father was a pilot. My whole family's been in aviation and, and it's just, you know, it's like not being able to breathe. Um, we all want to get back in the air and, and people are really starting to. So we're, we're looking forward to that. But that the logistics piece that we were talking about is isn't just trucking. Right. It's it's the movement of medicine. It's the movement of data. Right. And, and you know, again, here we are in this amazing, you know, studio complex and the the f- the film footage, right? The music, the, all of the action that happens here has to be transmitted, has to be, you know, there's has to be an air traffic control system of some type. So, you know, we look at CNN and all the you know global news feeds that come through here. So yes, there's trucks on the road, but there's also a whole lot of numbers and money and data and images and art, you know, that's coming through our region. So it's a, it's a fascinating part of the logistics sector. Um, others that are really important to us, um, Biolife science were the... I have one question, actually, on the yeah. logistics side with data. I've been told, and you probably know this, so that's why I'm going to ask, that Atlanta is one of the fastest internet locations in the country. Like, it's one of the best places to have data centers or um, run tech companies because of the interconnectivity, um, not only in the United States, but all over the world from Atlanta. Is that true? It is. Um, and there's a there's a few reasons for that. Um, and it certainly varies depending on what part of the region you're in. We still have a lot of rural broadband issues that we need to deal with as a state and, and are working on diligently. But you have, you know, these incredible fiber trunks, national trunks, um, you know, that are that are here in downtown and, and in the region. So when you have bandwidth, and then you have such a, a massive presence by our big, you know, bandwidth providers, the AT&T's and the Sprints of the world, coupled with low power costs and available power, you really get this kind of perfect storm of why a data center would want to be here. And that was really one of the, the reasons for the early days of fintech here is because all of that data, you know, we were great at processing checks, you know, for 50, 60 years, everything came through, you know, the, the Fed here in Atlanta. And then when that went digital and we started with ACH and the things that we know now that help move money, all of that burns a lot of energy, right? Burns a lot of data. So you could have, you know, a, a, a $200 million investment by a data center company taking a hundred acres. And there might only be 50 or 70 people working in that space, but the value of the equipment, the, the, the energy that they're pulling and, and the reliability that they, that they need from a redundant, you know, power and, and trunk is super important. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, Fa- this is a great place. Facebook, I believe, just built a big data center, or maybe is finishing it up out in near Covington, which is not far from where my farm property is that I, that I like to spend a lot of time outside the city <laughs> in. Yeah, we, we've had a number of uh, of large um, data center expansions and, and relocations here recently, and and I would expect that we'll continue to see that. You know, data data is is gold, um, and the security of that data is critical. So when we look at fintech, you know, a lot of people don't understand the New York Stock Exchange is owned and controlled out of Atlanta, right? That's, That's something a lot of people don't know. They That's don't true. know, right? So, you know, we're not just processing payments, you know, we have we have the company that that controls, you know, one of the, you know, most important global assets that we have. That needs security. That needs securing. So, we have this incredible, you know, cybersecurity um partnership with the with the military as they've relocated to Georgia and large pieces of their of their cyber infrastructure have relocated here not just to be close to a major metro but to be close to the world's most traveled airport you know major major um uh we'll call it assets that that really need you know protection on a multitude you know levels and that includes our 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 country's financial trunk and when you're talking about uh cybersecurity you're talking about federal cybersecurity Right, national cybersecurity, not just Georgia's cybersecurity. Correct. Yeah, I mean there are a number of a number of layers to it. Um, the the cyber center in Augusta that that we, um, as a state, I say we, um, that the state of Georgia was so fortunate to be able to have as as part of the base realignment enclosure, um, you know, kind of long term process. We have been able to really utilize being the third largest concentration of fortune 500s you know in in north america those big brands and having again you know the airport having all the assets that are here having one of the busiest ports in the country those are all things that you know you can't separate military and business and personal security anymore right that's all of it is so interlinked and it's important that that the military has access to the to our corporate leadership and that our corporate leadership has access to you know military intelligence and and um, has ac- I shouldn't say military intelligence but the the accessibility to to have those partnerships so when there is a breach or to help prevent breaches that we're all working together because that information flow that timing is so critical you can't spend days trying to figure out who should I call what are the two cities that have more fortune 500 companies than Atlanta do you know that? Do you know that? I, I do. Yep. Um, little city to the north of us called New York, New York as yeah. you can well imagine. And then, um, you know, in in uh, the state, the T word state, you know, down there in the mm. south on the coast, um, Houston is uh, because of the oil and gas industry is the second. Got it. So, but, but most of their, but no one would want to live in either of those places. So it really doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, there's a lot to be said for that right now. There's certainly an exodus from New York. And there's been all sorts of trouble in Houston, so they'll recover. They'll recover just like we, mm-hmm. like we are. Um, I don't, I don't foresee. I think there's such amazing and unique things about every city, every region, and and there's people that want to be a part of that, and there are others that would naturally move. You know, we're seeing though a huge migration from the northeast, anyways, to the south, um, particularly the southeast. So you know that net migration that was going to happen, anyways. We certainly want to be as welcoming and um, you know stay as affordable as we can um, and 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 frankly stay as creative and open and inviting a market um, so that we don't lose what's brought so many people here are we still getting like 10,000 people a month that move to Atlanta 
I haven't seen a whole lot of U-Haul trucks on the interstate recently, so um, I don't know that that we're seeing those numbers right now. But there's there are you know record numbers of um, I think companies looking at relocation if there if there are jobs available and if there is an environment that seems welcoming and open and inviting you're going to continue to see people move to it no matter where it is particularly right now and so you know as long as as a region we can continue to you know paint that picture and 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 be honest about where we are as a region and and you know what our strengths are what our challenges are there's a lot of people that want to be a part of that right they don't just want to move somewhere they want to feel like they're going to make a difference and they can get involved and they can be engaged and that's what we need here right we need the dreamers and the doers Um, we don't just need taxpayers from a real estate perspective, I've said for years that Atlanta's real competition is just other Sunbelt cities. So you could look at Los Angeles, Phoenix, Denver, Dallas, Houston. Who do you consider to be Atlanta's most important competitors from a city-to-city standpoint? That's a great question. And I don't know that there's one answer to that. It really depends on what we're competing you know, on, mm-hmm. um, what we're competing for, you'll, you'll see a lot of logistics and, um, you know, corporate reloads looking at big markets like a Dallas, right? Um, 10 years ago, I wouldn't have said, you know, Salt Lake and Denver and Nashville, you know, were were real competition for corporate investment. But today people are, are really looking at, if I can put a business anywhere, What's important to my employees? How can I have access to talent, first of all, and priced right talent, right? Where I'm not just going to have job jumpers leaving, you know, like the West Coast for another 50 or 100K, which you can't blame them. I get it, but it's got to be frustrating to help manage that. So, you know, culturally, I think when when people look at the Southeast U.S., we all kind of get lumped in together sometimes. But when you peel back the layers, there's only one Atlanta, right? There's really only, and I say Atlanta, Metro Atlanta, because mm-hmm. um, that's the reason I, region I represent, but the state as a whole. But you have some really amazing up-and-coming cities that are, you know, doing some wonderful things. And that's only going to help improve the attractiveness of the Southeast U.S., right? We like to think if something great happens in Nashville, it's going to benefit all of us. And we hope if something awesome happens in Jacksonville, you know, we're going to see the benefit as well. Um, So, you know, we'd rather see it come to the Southeast U.S. than, you know, another region of the country. So it's, you know, it's friendly competition. It's still competition by all means, but it's friendly competition. So you think maybe Dallas as a major city and then uh, Salt Lake and Nashville is kind of up-and-comers. I mean, I hear those names a lot with particularly smaller companies because the workforce is limited, but there's something wonderful about living in Salt Lake City and going up to Park City to go skiing. Or, oh, yeah. You know, Nashville's a fantastic town, but it's a seventh the size of Atlanta, right? So you're, you're just dealing in a much smaller market. But it sounds yeah. to me like, so you think Dallas head-to-head – is maybe the biggest like uh, city to city competitor. Well, again, it depends on depends on the industry. Um, lots of things, you know, will we're usually a natural fit for, and other things, you know, uh, kind of the, the 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 availability of large tracts of land, you know, lends itself more to a, a Dallas, you know, submarket. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't know that we're really looking to become, you know, that city that goes out 100 miles in every direction. You know, we're six and a half million people in the MSA right now and projected to grow, you know, well over 8 million. That takes a lot of planning, takes a, you know, and we have all these governments, right? You know, we've, we're not one big unified regional government. You have cities, you have counties. So that has some benefits and some challenges as well. So a lot of time is being spent on city and regional planning, you know, transportation initiatives, transportation funding. We all know how important public transportation is for, at least we all should know how important public transportation is to not just getting, you know, people around, but to helping with the, the, the growth of a region proactively, right? Not just reacting to where people end up going, but being purposeful about where we plan. And I think that is one thing that you know, for years we got dinged on, and and then you know in the late '90s and early 2000s, and and you know certainly after the Olympics, we had a lot of people saying, "Whoa, we've got to be able to do a better job of regional planning." A lot of money and a lot of time has gone into that. A lot of political capital has gone into that. So we're in a much better place than we were, you know, even 10 years ago. Well, today Atlanta stretches. Have you George dropped a pen in the center of town and then said, "How far does it stretch?" It probably stretches 35 miles in every direction. When you think. Yeah, at least I'm trying to think of the, you know, of the, um, the drive time for, uh, you know, for, for the unions and, and just how far out, you know, your, your center can go. And I mean, we, we know people that are driving 40, 50, 60 miles, you know, each way to come in. Um, and that's certainly, you know, a choice. I've, I've, I've lived all over the world and I've had some hellacious commutes. So you couldn't pay me to do again. And now I live, you know, here in, in DeKalb County and can ride, you know, the subway into work and walk to stores and restaurants. And, I, you know, we found our forever home um, and certainly will never leave. Um, Is that Decatur? We're in Avondale. Oh, Avondale. Yeah, just I right next Avondale. door. Yeah. I used to have an apartment complex over there. Oh, cool. Yeah, right right there on College Avenue. It was an old apartment co- complex built in the 50s. But okay. It was this fantastic kind of like fourplex um, you know, it was, it was, it was 250 ish units, but they were all fourplexes, and they were all these beautiful old units with, they didn't have nine foot ceilings. They had like eight and a half foot, something really, like really <laughs> weird, but they, but everybody loved this community. Yeah. They, they loved not only that complex, but they loved that area. It's a wonderful community of people. Is that right across from, uh, the Waffle House? It is right over there. Yeah. yeah I exactly. know it. So yeah. we're, we're right behind Good Karma. So right by the city hall. It's called Avondale Station. Yeah. I know it well. We've got friends that live there. Yeah. Well, so I yeah. sold it years ago. I wish I wouldn't have, but the guys that I sold it to, um, have just loved owning it for, you know, they were more long-term holders. I went in we did some renovation to it and then we sold it to those guys, but it's kept up really well. It's got a great reputation and, and, you know, we love having them as neighbors, but Avondale is a, a you know, a wonderful family area, great community of people. And it makes sense that you found a forever home there. It was neat. We, we weren't looking there. My, my, uh, I've got a 16 year old son who's a film and TV actor and, and we kept going to, to, uh, you know, sets to shoots, in and around Avondale and Decatur, and Decatur, and we're like, my gosh, this is. We were living outside the city, and and we're like, why do we keep driving in? This is, you know, someplace we really loved, and we ended up getting the house that he actually shot one of his first projects in when we when we saw the city. So it's it's neat to to see really the the how the creative industry has changed neighborhoods and and who's living in our communities now, right? Everybody that we know 
you know, within so far of radiuses, you know, their lighting, their set design, their, their, you know, post, we've got composers, we, you know, I can hear, I can hear violin and piano music, you know, out the window at night now. And, you know, that just was not the case, you know, years ago. And so it's, it's been so great to see the diversity that the creative industries bring. So many other big cities like New York or LA, Seattle have geographic boundaries that are the ocean or Denver has the mountains, right? Atlanta doesn't really have geographic boundaries, but when you get to be 35 miles wide in every direction, traffic becomes a geographical boundary. And what we've seen in the last 10 years, particularly, is just like the story you're telling, people who have moved to the suburbs then now are beginning to fold back into the center. And so all of this land inside the perimeter as you know, for those of you not from Atlanta, inside the perimeter is inside the 285 freeway. Inside the perimeter is becoming a premium from a real estate standpoint because of all this folding back in and the the densification, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you're seeing things in neighborhoods that used to be one story becoming four story condos and four story apartments, and um, you're just you're getting um, a much greater mass of people that are folding back into the center, which is a naturally occurring uh, event inside of a, of a city's natural evolution. It is, you know, it, it ebbs and flows. Um, it's like, it's like the tide and, and, and you'll see cities grow. You'll see, you know, trends change and people want to move. And, you know, for years it was as you start a family and you want, you know, a yard and a garage and, you know, a fence for your dogs. And you, you think you want, you know, the right types of schools for your children, although we have amazing options in town, right? You know, the days of saying that you can't put your kids in school um, was never the case, frankly, but but even more so today, we have, you know, we're in a public school system that we adore and wouldn't want to be anywhere else, um, the Druid Hill system, and, and it's been fantastic to cap, to cap schools for us, it's been a wonderful choice. So there are, there are great options, but you're also, you know, I, I get what you're saying, Ryan, but I think you're, the suburbs are seeing this incredible rebirth and regeneration when you have these major um, kind of concentrations of people and the desire to have a little bit of what you can get in, in the density downtown, you know, in, in an Avalon, right, mm-hmm. or in, you know, Woodstock or in places, you know, that are investing in public infrastructure and public facilities and, you know, they're getting some corporate investment coming in. So it's really cool to see. And, of course, you know, we love – you know, having, having, um, you know, downtown and, and midtown and all parts of the, the, the kind of ITP grow, but we really love it when people feel they can stay where they are as well and grow and, and have new amenities, um, in, in a place where they already enjoy. Well, when you're adding 10,000 people a month, which is kind of historically what Atlanta has been adding post the Olympics, there's places for everyone, you know, and everybody right. can find the, uh, the right fit. Um, Avondale and what's gone on um, in Alpharetta is it reminds me of a of a book I read years ago called Edge Cities. Yeah, and Edge Cities is all about right about like all these nodes of operation where it's not just about downtown and radiating. It's really about all these little nodes around a major city that become their own radiating influences. And um, certainly in Atlanta, we have a number of those, and they're growing. Right. I mean, you have those kind of nodes up the 75. You have nodes like that up the 85. Yep. I think that um, as you go out the 20 towards Lake Oconee, that's starting to transform. And, and you see a lot of growth in Covington and what's happening in Covington, I think, could become an edge city. Absolutely. Um, 
and certainly in the south you look at Peachtree city and that's a you know that's an edge city um it, it might not have as many jobs yet it doesn't have nearly the jobs that like alpharetta has but it's on that same kind of growth path yeah and you know each city has kind of their own determination too right you know they, they don't all want to be midtown and Peachtree city you know amazing airport right great access um you know golf courses housing schools you you have you have so many different parts of the region to your point that that have a different vibe right they're all part of the bigger picture you know being in in metro atlanta but you can you know you can walk to work if you want or you can take a golf cart to work if you want or you can ride a horse i mean you you have you have all those choices and as many places as we've lived around the world i've never been somewhere where i felt there were that many options that that didn't just leave us stranded somewhere, right? You know, you get a lot of suburbs that are so far out that you feel like you can't come in and, you know, go to something at the Fox or ASO or, you know, go to a club or whatever you want to do. So much of that growth is happening now all over the region. And yes, transportation will continue to be an issue. It is, there's no successful city in the world that doesn't have transportation as a, as a constant issue, whether it's a problem or, you know, the ability for a solution. Cars, means people, means people want to be there. And so if you can manage that as well as possible, then that is part of your, you know, that's part of a growth trajectory so, until we all are flying around with jetpacks. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Might be sooner than you think. Um, or, or at least a companion drone. Yeah. Which could be pretty amazing. I'll take the jetpack. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I want to circle back on the major company. So who do you consider to be the major companies based in Atlanta? We talked a little bit about Delta, and Delta's been hit really hard. Who else um, are the major companies? There's a lot of people listening to this podcast who aren't from Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So walk them through um, the major companies in Atlanta and and how they each of these companies have been affected by COVID. Wow. Well, I don't know that I can speak to each of the companies and specifically how they've been, you know, not being on the inside with them. But, you know, our, our, our Fortune 5 community, um, really a Fortune 500 community is, is again, strong because it's diverse. You know, you, you have um, major hospitality and tourism, you know, and activity companies like Delta, like IHG, you know, um, Inter- Intercontinental Hotels Group is what IHG stands for, for those of you that don't know. But think Holiday Inn, Intercontinental Hotels. Um and so you have you have companies that have that have certainly had some challenges, um, but amidst that, you know, I think everybody's anxious and excited to get back in the air, to get back traveling again, whether that's in a month or in in six months. You know, I, I think we will see that resiliency, you know, really happen. Um, you know, of course, other you know major companies you hear about on a daily basis, Coca Cola and Chick Fil A and Home Depot. You know, take a look at the logistics and supply chain world like Home Depot and, you know, the growth that they're experiencing in the supply chain side, not just, you know, people shopping online or in store, but all those products have to get somewhere, right? That Amazon package or, you know, the HelloFresh that we're ordering or, you know, the we're really jonesing for, um, you know, our, our favorite popsicle or, or gelato from, you know, someplace here in, in Atlanta. All that has to get moved somehow, even if you go and pick it up from a store or you go sit down, all those ingredients had to come from somewhere. So that supply chain side, um, when you look at a company like Home Depot, um, has had some, you know, tremendous upside for us and certainly other regions that are major supply, you know, centers. Um, we look at the healthcare 
and the global health industry and you know having what I think is the finest you know global health um, facility and leadership in the world with the CDC right in our backyard and you know with 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 Emory and all of the these incredible healthcare networks that we have to be able to have you know American Cancer Society the the um, all of the the nonprofits, NGOs, and kind of quasi-governmental agencies that really make up part of the global health ecosystem, they're working hand-in-hand hand with the Deltas, with the Home Depots, with so many of our major corporations because that supply chain, whether it's vaccines, whether it's testing, or again, people, data, all of that has to be, you know, transmitted. So I think, you know, you'll see some of the some of the challenges that we've had in certain parts of the ecosystem start to come back. And hopefully the, the growth in these other parts um, have really helped us, um, you know, mitigate what I think a lot of cities are, are really struggling with. Now, of course, we still have challenges. Um, but that's why you have such kind of a tight knit region and, and why partnerships and cooperation is more important now than ever. Yeah, no, I can see that. Um, you know, some of the other companies that I think of, you know, Coca-Cola, I imagine Coca-Cola's sales haven't been hurt. They might have even gone up. I don't know the answer to that, but... <laughs> I know I'm drinking as much as I can. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people Coca-Cola. Are. <laughs> yeah, Coca-Cola. UPS, obviously, like with all the at-home delivery, I would yep. think that there's been an increase in their demand. Um, we talked a little bit about New York Stock Exchange, which is owned by ICE, which is, uh, I think, called the Intercontinental Exchange. Is that... That's correct, yep. Um and then you have Porsche North America is based here. Mercedes North America based yep. in Atlanta. Um, I believe, what's the Arby's holding company called? You know what I'm talking about? So, yeah, so, and actually that's a that's a good point. Um, I think probably a lot of folks, a lot of listeners may, may not know that, that Atlanta is um, one of the biggest epicenters for uh, franchise, um, not only investment, but, um, kind of birthing and and merging and and developing the franchise network. So you have you know a number of massive conglomerates that are here in town that own like you're mentioning you know Arby's and Wendy's and and all these you know not just food franchises but auto franchises right you know you, and you've got um, you know GPC Genuine Parts Company you have you know um, Cox and and the entire Cox enterprise so you you have you have investments at, at the highest level that really kind of filter down into our neighborhoods. And, um, you know, as you drive around any kind of retail area, you, you see Atlanta at work, right? Whether it's Chick-fil-A or, or, you know, like you said, Coke. Let's talk a little bit about an area where I know you have a lot of expertise, which is esports. Esports seems like it's just exploding all over the globe. Tell, talk to us about what you're seeing from your vantage point in that space. Yeah, sure. I mean, man, if you'd said, you know, even five years ago that um, that every major CEO, you know, in a city like Atlanta would understand not only what esports are, but that they need to leverage and 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 adopt, you know, marketing and 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 working within it, I would have told you you were crazy. It, it's been it's been a wild ride. You know, we've played video games um, since you know they 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 came around. And that old adage of, 
you know, your parents telling you, oh, it's going to rot your brain and you can't make any money at it. And, you know, there's a lot of crow being eaten right now. And, and uh, no, it's not for everybody. Just like, you know, being a professional basketball or, you know, or, or footballer isn't for everybody. But there are incredible occupations and, and, and the link between, you know, STEM, our science, technology, engineering, math, and I would say STEAM arts component to it um, is, is so strong that when a, a child... And it's not just playing violent video games, right? This is this is this is shout casting, broadcasting. These are you know art direction and and um, you know videography. This is this is filming. This is animation. There's so many things that go into an esports production. And for those of you that don't know what what esports is, it's basically just the it's the action of watching um, or playing um, video games for. Well, you can say sport, uh, but in a lot of cases, professionally. Mm-hmm. So, you've heard of Twitch. You've heard of you know all these online platforms that allow uh, people to watch somebody else playing a game. And a lot of people would think, well, that sounds boring. Why? Why would I want to watch somebody else play a game? But it's that interaction really between the players if they're playing, you know, against um, other teams, other players, you know, on their team itself or other teams, the game that they're playing. Um, that broadcasting, and when you see a professionally, um, you know, put together esports tournament, um, it is as exciting as about anything that you can watch. And there are hundreds of millions of viewers every day that are tuning in. This is not a fad; it's not going away. This is an entirely new medium. Well, I mean, it's entirely new in the sense that it's digital, but at the same time, it's just watching people play a sport. It's no different than watching Tom Brady play football, only with esports. Oftentimes it's like you get to listen to Tom Brady in his helmet and right. look at and watch the view from his helmet yep. playing a sport, which would be probably a pretty fun way to watch a football game, right? If you could just be in the helmet of the star quarterback. And that's what a lot of esports um, watching feels like and looks like to me and to people who grew up with esports being just a normal part of their everyday life the way that um the millennials and the and what you know my my youngest daughter's 10 she's considered gen a gen alpha right after gen z yep and she's never known a time when there weren't digital screens everywhere and so for her to sit and watch somebody play a game that she likes to play is no different than guys getting up and watching football, college football on television, yep. uh, which is a game they might not have played for 30 years. Yeah. Right. But this is a game that she could play five minutes after watching somebody else play it. So it, it, it culturally, it may sound bizarre that people are tuning in to watch other people play video games, but for this generation, it's no different than any other sport. No one. Well, and, and you know, the average age of, of, um, not just players, but people really engaged in you know Twitch and and watching other people play games is getting older and older every year. You know, it's not the the ten year old is is almost the exception at this point, right? It's it's twenties, thirties, forties. I do, you know, um, and it, you know, it's not just men, right? It's it's women, um, it's young women. Um, it's an exciting way to get you know all kind of walks of life interested. In you know, as I mentioned Steam earlier, you know, interested in in how was that made, right? You know, we 
we had factories for you know for decades, you know centuries, and and people would be interested in tinkering, and I you know I want to go do this, but that digital world of how is a movie made, or how's you know how's that game made, how is that music made, that really is the future of content because it is. You know, it lives on forever, right? It's not just it's not just a widget that wears out in you know three years and has to be remade, right? That content can live on forever, and the innovations and in technology that are helping rapidly deploy all new types of of uh, kind of entertainment content, you know, new media platforms, it's incredibly exciting. So talk about a a, a future workforce. Our kids are wired for it, and and that is you know to your to your question. Why, you know, why is Georgia, why is Metro Atlanta, you know, one of the top sports in North America, spots in North America? It's because we have, you know, Turner and and coming out with E-League, you know, the first televised league, right? We have this amazing investment by the by the Cox family in, in the Atlanta reign and physical, you know, major team ownerships, just like the Falcons or the Atlanta United. Um, you have hardware manufacturers like Scuff, you know, who make who make the most popular controller in the world for professional gamers. Um, you have the performance buttons, right, with Control Freak. Um, you have facilities, right? You have access replay on the Beltline. You have you know Battle and Brew. You have you know big stadiums that are have been retrofit to be able to do it. And then you have you know consultants. The one of the top esports accountants and attorneys are here in you know in Metro Atlanta. So you put all these pieces together, and then you have a, a K twelve and a collegiate ecosystem, and presidents of the universities and and you know chancellors and principals who understand what a great asset this is for their student body, their student base. They're doing everything they can to create teams, to create clubs, to create scholarships, varsity programs. You don't find any other market in North America that understands so many different pieces of that, the bit, the broader ecosystem, right? You know, you don't have to be number one in everything, right? If you can be number one in one thing, that's great. I'll take numbers, you know, three and two in 10 different things all day long because that adds up to a market that is completely unbeatable. Well, a couple things that I think are, are interesting going on. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 45 years old. I've got, you know, friends who have been playing video games their entire lives. I mean, we grew up with Commodore 64s that evolved into Intellivision and Atari and Nintendo. And, you know, then on and on it went. But these are people that have been, you know, playing games with their thumbs yeah. for their entire, you know, adult lives. What's interesting about it is that my friends who are huge gamers like to talk about the fact that as they get older they can't play baseball they can't play football they can't you know <laughs> it they, hurts it, everything starts hurt. <laughs> they can play they can game their whole lives oh yeah right and and they don't age really in gaming necessarily i mean you certainly look at um there's a company that um in california called hyper ice and hyper ice is a sports recovery device company you'll see them in the nba finals right now in the, or the nba uh playoffs you'll see hyper ice next to every player well hyperize recently um sponsored an esports team in california and they they have a funny video it wasn't intended to be funny it was actually intended to be educational but it's all these gaming guys talking about their thumbs oh yeah right and their and their elbows and their fingers and just like all of the 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 workouts they need to do to keep their hands fresh to be able to continue to uh play these video games so anyway, one of the things I think is interesting is that you get this aging population of guys that are 45 that are now starting to take on a lot of leadership roles all over mm -hmm. uh, business life. 
By the time they're 55, gaming is going to be really huge. But these are all people that are totally familiar, comfortable with gaming, and are going to just integrate it everywhere they go. Now, on the entertainment side, the place that I think is fascinating is if you saw the Disney show Mandalorian. Oh, yeah. You know, Mandalorian is basically made with gaming engines. And gaming engine is just software, right? And software applied to digital screens. And what they did is instead of using green screens or blue screens and inserting backgrounds, they just built these really uh, high, high def, right? I don't know how many pixels, but super high def video screens that are then run by a gaming engine that allows that background to move with the characters to make it feel like real background. And then they just literally film that with the character and that, you know, that that's how they made the entire show Mandalorian. And that right now is one of the, the biggest moves in the post COVID world in a world where people don't really want to have to go to in the, into public if they don't have to. Yep. Um, they're trying to figure out as many ways as possible to stay on stage uh, to stay behind the walls of, you know, the black hall cocoon, right? <laughs> yep. um, the gaming engine technology matched with uh, light walls is going to be one of the, the, the biggest um, evolutions in television and film Complete that we've seen in a long time. Yeah. Yep. Are you hearing a lot about this? Oh my gosh, it's in everything that we're talking about. And that, again, I think that's one of the great things about being in, in such a, a vibrant and kind of, you know, cutting edge market like like Atlanta is you know you see that connection between gaming esports and film right and television um and now you know music and scoring and and to be able to have have all of that you know mirrored in a in a in a in a backbone that can actually handle the the workforce and the education components is critical right you can roll out all this technology but if nobody knows how to either you know code it deploy it use it it's it's worthless. So you know, you you, know, you mentioned Unreal, you know, Epic's Mega Grant program. You know, Atlanta was a recipient. Metro Atlanta was a recipient um, of tens of thousands of dollars in training money to, to kind of train the trainers so that we could get more kids in school familiar with and young adults for that matter, not just kids. You know, familiar with the Unreal Engine. And you're going to see a lot more of that. The Georgia Film Academy. You know, George Stepakoff and and his awesome team have spent a lot of time looking at. Um, you know, the crossover between gaming and film. And, and so you're seeing our universities, you're seeing our K-12 system really trying to um, find the resources in order to deploy as quickly as they can those programs so that we can continue to be a leader in, in workforce for those. But I'm with you. I, I love Unreal. Well, just up the street from here is McNair High School. And um, you mentioned Stepakoff and the Georgia Film Academy. We've been working with uh, Jeff and his team and uh, DeKalb County Schools to take a section of McNair High School that's been empty, right? McNair High School was built, I believe, for about 2,000 kids originally. And today yeah. there's 600 yeah, that huge. attend school there. So there's quite a bit of empty space. And so we've been working on ways to utilize that space to build a, um, I'm not sure if it's going to be a charter school or which particular technical designation it would be, mm -hmm. but let's just imagine it's like a charter school where kids can come from all over DeKalb County and study film, television, and gaming and utilize all of that Georgia Film Academy uh, awesome. curriculum, uh, which I think is going to be phenomenal. And then it'll get integrated in with Black Hall here because literally they're two minutes down the street. 
Yeah, that's incredible to be so close to an asset like that. And, and you know, talk about a region that, that's that's ready, right, for that type of community engagement. You know, that's that's DeKalb, right? I think you find residents are, and, and, and the young people here, because they can see the they can see music they can see film being made right they you know because you have this incredible facility here um it's it's brought that action and and i think that the access so much closer to the people in this region and and that's true of of you know our our studios are around anywhere around a city that like this or like la or someplace that has a you know large concentration it sometimes you have to be able to to see it and of course have those opportunities to interact before you really understand, you can be there too, right? It, it, it's not this unattainable job in the film industry or in the creative industries. You know, anybody can can have access to that. Yeah, until you can see it. Yep. I think um, it becomes really difficult to imagine it. Very few people are Leonardo da Vinci and wake up in the morning and imagine a helicopter. Yeah. Right? But once you've seen a helicopter, you might be able to imagine all the things you could use a helicopter to do. Yep. So I, you know, I, I look back at, um, you know, my wonderfully middle-class American upbringing and I had no idea what an investment banker was. I had no idea that what a real estate developer was. Yep. I had no idea what a hedge fund manager was like, you know, today, uh, most of the doctors I know want their kids to be hedge fund managers. <laughs> Right. But they only know about that because hedge fund managers came into a, a sense of of cultural norm, normalcy. Right. Right. You get a show like Billions and how many kids are for the first time in their lives uh, imagining or even thinking about being a hedge fund manager in Connecticut yep. and what that might look like. So I'm a huge believer in um, in the, the the necessary engagement of all of these professions at every level of our society such that people can see and imagine all of their options and then be able to choose a path because it's really, it's it, it, in, in a lot of places in our society, uh, people see their options as very limited. Right. One, well, I think with the national discourse that we're having, you know, today um, it's even more important to make sure that, you know, and, and I forget who said it, but it, it it's talking about bringing the, you know, people to the economy versus bringing the economy to the people, right? And and understanding how you create an inclusive, inviting environment where everyone, you know, every child has opportunities afforded to them. You know, whether whether whatever path they want to take, they're at least you know exposed uh, and 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 given those chances. And it's incumbent upon all of us to make sure that that happens. So you know, the work that you're doing with the school, I think, is is incredible. You know, we need more of that. We need more of those those corporate partnerships. And again, I you know, I sound like a broken record, but I think that's what's so special about being in Metro Atlanta is you have you have companies with hearts, right? You know, we're not we're not leading this national discussion just to tick a box. This is something that people at their core care about and they care about the city and they care about the people who live in this region. And, you know, if anybody can, can lead and, and kind of show the way to creating a more inclusive environment, it's Metro Atlanta, it's Georgia. I agree with that. I mean, Atlanta has been creating an inclusive environment for decades in a way that I think most other American cities could only dream of achieving. And so in many ways, this kind of national uh, crisis that we're facing is a crisis that in many ways Atlanta has solved. Um, 
Now, it doesn't mean that Atlanta hasn't had its own issues in, in recent weeks with protests and different things, but I would say that that is not the cultural norm of this city. Um, in fact, um, I've been such an, so incredibly impressed in the years that I've lived here with the amount of uh, cultural and racial integration that takes place here um, in not a proactive way, but a very organic, natural way. Yeah, this is it's a special place. I mean, this is certainly one of the reasons that that drew us here as a family. And you know, I've been able to raise two children in this region who are, you know, critical thinkers, open-minded, um, who who see the world in in a completely different way than I think you know some of the some of the country does. And and you know, and I've got Atlanta to thank for that. Metro Atlanta. So let's set COVID aside and imagine imagine we're not dealing with that particular crisis forever. Imagine for me a few things that you would love to see happen in Atlanta over the next five years. Oh, wow. Let's see. This is 2020. So six years. World Cup. I mean, number one, period. World Cup. That's numbers one through ten. <laughs> we got to win it. We got to host it. We got to kill it. Um, that That will be... Absolute market defining, just like the Olympics were for us. Um, it will be market defining for our youth sports programs. It will be market defining for our stadiums, for team investment. Um, I get, that's just that's Grant's personal opinion. Um, when will that be decided? Um, hopefully in the next year. Um, there's a lot of a lot of folks, you know, uh, working really hard uh, on on our. You know, if you remember, the bid is is Mexico, Canada, and and and, uh, and the U.S. So it's it's all three of us. It's first time a region, an entire you know, um, region like this has been selected. So a lot of competition, um, but we're we're certainly hopeful. We stand a great chance, and a lot of great colleagues like uh, Dan Corso with the Sports Council, who's in our office, are 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 spending their lives on that. So I'd say that's you know that's almost all of the top. I think. More than anything, though, we have to be able to our conversation just a second ago, Ryan, I think we have to be able to continue to find those solutions and and be that be that sounding board and frankly, be be those advocates that that can continue to have the hard conversations, right? the the the, the difficult conversations that for years we've had to, sh- you know, kind of have in the shadows, the time for that's over. And, and I think being able to have that kind of in, in, in um, inclusive economic development and, and, and the right type of growth that allows for everybody to, to win, you know, not just building buildings and gentrifying neighborhoods, you know, so that we can make everything look like, you know, one part of town. It has to be, you know, culturally relevant it has to be you know um socially relevant and 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 i think we're off to some amazing you know discussions and and some great progress we've got a lot of work to go um but again you know in five years you know we we will be i firmly believe the shining example of of how you tackle a challenge head on right and 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 you don't shy away from it Mm. we're out of time if people want to find you, do you have social media? 
Uh, I do, yeah. They, <laughs> depends on who's trying to find me. <laughs> IRS, FBI, you never heard of me. <laughs> they know how to find you. They know how to find Well, that's true, yeah. <laughs> I paid my taxes on time this year. Um, no, the the Metro Chamber um, is, is a great resource. Uh, uh, MetroAtlantaChamber.com. Um, you know, my social media is just at Grant Wayne Scott, you know, Twitter and um, and LinkedIn and the like, but uh, we're, we're always up for having a conversation. We want to be a connector. We want to hear, you know, from, from the region, from businesses, from job seekers, tell us what's going on. How can we help? You know, we're, we're the, one of the country's oldest and largest chambers of commerce uh, and, and, you know, completely private. And it's our job to make sure that, that companies and people feel like they have a community they want to be in forever. Well, thanks for being here. It's been great to hear about what's going on in Atlanta, what's going on in Georgia. Appreciate all your efforts on that behalf. I mean, um, I know the Metro Atlanta Chambers had such a huge role in helping grow this economy over many, many decades. So I appreciate all your efforts. Oh, it's been an honor. Thank you. We wouldn't be here without amazing investments and folks like you. So, you know, keep keep growing. Let's get this to 2,000 acres. Oh, I'd love that. <laughs> thanks, Grant. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Ryan. I'm Ryan Millsap, and this is the Black Hall Studios Podcast. Just when you think you've given absolutely everything and that nothing more can possibly be asked of you, the emptiness is swept up and the dust collected, and you had no idea you even cared about the dust until it is gone. Yet in total absence, there is the unnameable eternal presence, there before all things were made, and the only option is total surrender, and death leads to life. And with acceptance of total loss, everything that matters is found. Thanks for listening to the Black Hall Studios podcast with Ryan Millsap. We want to hear from you. Find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Spotify. And follow us on Instagram at at Black Hall Studios and at Ryan.Millsap. Mm-hmm.